0: Continuing our time in the lectionary this morning, six more weeks in the lectionary before uh, Lent begins, and we'll start a, a new thing. But uh, this has been fun to, to just come to kind of a random passage. It's not random, and yet uh, to, to come to a passage and say, God, what, what do you want to share? And, and it's been fun almost every week where uh, it's something that makes complete sense in our world. Either coming out of Christmas and, and talking about being the gift. Uh, or this morning, uh, as our country is rife with tension and stress and marches and, and all, all sorts of disagreement, for a passage about unity to be one of our primary lectionary texts this morning uh, is, is incredible. So I want to talk about unity and division uh, this morning. And again, it, it's quite the week uh, for reminding us of how divided we are as a country, Right, we started the week with MLK Day, Martin Luther King Jr. Day, uh, which we celebrate as our country uh, is still uh, struggling with racial tension. And yet we think back on on so many uh, so many years uh, after uh, after Dr. King, and yet we still fight this battle. We we still uh, are stuck uh, in the midst of racial tensions. And then of course. Uh, the week kind of came to a close uh, with the inauguration and and subsequent activities to follow. Some peaceful protest, some angry, uh, sinful riot, uh, and yet uh, both, whether good or bad forms of contesting uh, the the election, uh, illuminate the division. They illuminate that we're not we're not on the same page as a country. And so uh, how relevant a passage about unity this morning because our country, our world, our churches, we even within ourselves, we desperately need unity. Uh, Our world tells us to pick sides. It's kind of the state of affairs right now. Our world tells us to pick sides. It encourages division. It encourages us to focus on what separates and not our commonality. It's just kind of the way it is right now. And churches can sometimes be the worst offenders. Right? Dr. King himself said that, 10 o'clock on a Sunday morning is the most segregated time of, of the week, right? I mean, and we're still kind of living into this, we're a, we can be a divisive people. It's, kind, it's been in our bones from almost uh, our inception, and we're going to read about one of those stories this morning. It's kind of who we are, unfortunately, and so God help us as we work through that, but we can find ways to separate instead of rallying around what could unite. There are 217 Christian denominations in our country. 217. That's kind of crazy, right? We hold these core values, or yet we ought to, and yet we can't find ways to rally together. We have to divide into 217 different units uh, that are all coming to the same Scripture and worshiping the same God on a Sunday morning. It's insane, and we can be the worst offenders. Uh, I find this uh, incredibly troubling. Uh, Competition can creep up between denominations, between churches. I even find myself in that mode sometimes where I find myself thinking that it's some sort of zero-sum game where if, if another church does well, it must mean that we can't. Uh, and in those moments, as they creep up from time to time, I have to repent and ask for forgiveness because that's not the way the kingdom of God works. We are supposed to be unified, and too often we're not. So uh, as we come to our text this morning in 1 Corinthians, we're going to be reminded uh, of another group that couldn't quite get themselves in tune together as well. So 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 1, and I'll be starting in verse 10. I I don't know if it's going to be on the screen. It may not. So you might want to grab a pew Bible that's in front of you and and turn there yourself. Uh, 1 Corinthians 1, starting with verse 10. Oh yeah, let's read together. I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another in what you say, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you may be perfectly united in mind and thought. My brothers and sisters, some from Chloe's household have informed me that there are quarrels among you. What I mean is this, one of you says, I follow Paul, another one, I follow Apollos, Uh, another one, I follow Cephas, some, I'm a Democrat, some, I'm a Republican, some, I'm Catholic, I'm Lutheran, I'm Baptist, oh, sorry, back to the text. And finally, uh, still another, I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? "...was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptized into the name of Paul? I thank God that I did not baptize any of you except Crispus and Gaius, so no one can say that you were baptized into my name." Yes, I also baptized the household of Stephanus. Beyond that, I don't remember if I baptized anyone else. Sidebar there. Uh, For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom and eloquence, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. So I'll stop there. Uh, Okay, so it's a passage about Unity. Uh, In verse 10, Paul starts... I mean, this is the beginning of the entire body of this letter, right? This this is the very beginning. We've just had the greeting so far. So this is the very first sentence where he's going going to get to any sort of content that he's sharing. And the very first thing out of his mouth or at the tip of his pen is a message about unity. I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another in what you say, and there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly united in mind and thought. The very first thing he says is in this incredibly significant invitation. He's inviting us, he's inviting this church into a new way of being. He says, I appeal to you That all of you agree with one another in what you say. It literally reads in the Greek as say the same. I want you to say the same. I want you to be in tune with one another and especially in what you say. And then he fleshes that out a little more as he continues in this first verse here uh, by encouraging them to to be perfectly united in mind and thought. How do you say the same thing? You are perfectly united in mind and thought. Essentially, uh, Paul is inviting us to speak with one voice, one mind, and one purpose. One voice, one mind, and one purpose, which is so hard to do and yet so important. Our language can either unify us or it can divide us. It can pull us together together. Or it can drive us apart. Language is so powerful. And it's hard to steward our words well where we're actually arriving kind of to the same point where we could say the same. Uh, language, uh, finding a common language... Uh, is a really formational process. I think coming to a co- sort of common agreement on what we can say the same, I think is a really formational process, but it's so hard. But good. This, this kind of work can solidify a group and it can catalyze a movement, right? Uh, President Obama did it with a phrase like, Yes, we can, right? Whether you agree with him or not, that that simple phrase, kind of finding this, this common language, solidified a group and it catalyzed an entire movement, right? And President Trump has done the same with a phrase like, make America great again, right? It's, it's this language that everyone, at least a, a large group of people, can can agree on, they can say the same, and it has catalyzed an entire movement to where he's our new president, in part because of language. Language is really, really powerful in forming a group of people and getting everyone going in the same direction. I, I'm a sports fan, uh, so I was thinking of a couple examples in the sports world. Uh, I'm not a Packers fan, a Green Bay Packers fan, but they were struggling early in the year, right? They had lost, I think they had lost four games in a row, and the season is basically over, and their quarterback, Aaron Rodgers, says, Relax, we can run the table. And they've now won like eight games in a row, and they're, today they're playing for the Super Bowl. right? Some language, and, and people rallied around this kind of language. It formed this bond uh, both in the locker room and in, the, in a fan base, uh, but it rallied them. Right? I, I'm, a, I'm a huge Mariners fan, and they were struggling last year. They, they were going through this slump right about the time that Ken Griffey Jr. was being inducted into the Hall of Fame. And during his Hall of Fame speech, Uh, He, like, took this little sidebar moment to encourage his former team, the Mariners, uh, to keep fighting. He used this phrase, keep fighting. Like, there's tons tons of time left in the season, keep fighting. And that actually became this rallying cry for an entire fan base. And and in the locker room, the players were using this kind of phrase that we're going to keep fighting. And they were two games out of the playoffs by the end, even though at the time they were really struggling. Uh, Our language can form this kind of bond, this solidarity that can help move us in the right direction. Our words are really powerful. Now, our common language can also create a cult. Uh, Or at least cultish behavior. So we have to be careful about that. Uh, Even if you're trying to do a good thing, I I was thinking about my seminary I attended. We were kind of weird. We were kind of out there, and we had our own way of talking about certain things. And and uh, I was I was able to step just far enough on the outside that I feel like I didn't get into kind of the get sucked into almost the cultish way of talking about things. But there was a danger there. We always flirt with how, how connected do we get uh, as opposed to uh, becoming kind of a, a cult. But I think finding a shared language at its best is incredibly unifying and transformational. Uh, and it's what we spent a lot of time here at our church doing over the first year of my ministry at least. It was kind of coming to a new mission statement and finding a new vision together and being able to talk the same to say the same what are we doing and how do we want to talk about it and how do we want to engage the world uh, we spent a bunch of time doing that so I think that Paul and I are arguing for the same thing here this morning that that we find ways to unite around our commonalities instead of dividing over our differences I think it's essentially what Paul is arguing for, and it's what I would want for our world. It's what I would want for our church. It's what I would want for all of Christianity is that we find ways to unite around our commonalities instead of dividing over our differences. That we would come to agreement about what is central and universally acceptable about our faith. What can we agree about? Even if we're different from other people in our church, by leaps and bounds when it comes to political or social issues, financial issues, what is central? What is core to Christian faith? And can we, can we rally around those things and be willing to say the same about those kind of things so that there's a unifying effort instead of focusing on our differences? And I would argue that Paul later in this letter to the Corinthians will say that the one thing that we should do Uh, all be able to say the same is that jesus is lord if there's nothing else can we can we agree that jesus is lord that christ has died christ has risen and christ will come again Can, can we at least start there as kind of this rallying phrase or this rallying way of thinking about our faith that jesus is lord is lord jesus is in charge uh, our faith isn't about Paul or Apollos or Peter. It's not about a certain creed or a prayer. It's, it's not about a certain denomination or a certain way of reading scripture. Uh, one commentary I was looking at this week said this, Christians are unified in that they share the same prior indebtedness to sin's power, the same utter need for God's grace, and the same loving, redemptive power of God's mercy. Christian unity rests on that shared story, not in the opinions that believers have about issues, and not on the distinctive contributions they are enabled to make to the community of believers. What, it, what unifies is Jesus, plain and simple, because he is not divided, as our text uh, tells us today. Uh, We can have differences in actions and thoughts and words and still be unified. Uh, And I've experienced this here at our church, that we have people on all ends of all spectrums, and and yet we can come together. And, And I think that's a witness to the community, and I think it should send us out of this place each and every week with a hopefulness and a purpose for how we might engage with the world. Even with my... My friends, my neighbors, my co-workers, are there there places where we can find enough similarity that we can be unified and not divided? We don't have to be uniform. Uh, We don't have to be First Baptist Church robots that are all the same. But there is common ground to stand firm on, to focus on, to be united in, to be together in, to be in solidarity around. But again... Everything in our world tells us to choose sides, right? To pick fights, to debate, to win, to highlight our differences and neglect our similarities. Uh, we, get tell, we get told this story that it's stupid to be unified, so choose a side. Uh, which is why I love that the lectionary includes the first verse of the next section of this book verse 18 in the lectionary reading for di- for today. If you are reading along, if you're kind of following along, uh there's there you know my bible has sections, right? Most bibles have sections and they've kind of sectioned out verses 10 through 17 and then 18 is in an, the next section. And yet the lectionary today included 18 into this previous section so we so that we would read it together. A- and it's it's this message for the the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. Unity is foolish. It makes no sense. It doesn't get you anywhere in the kingdom of the world mindset. In the world you pick sides. Uh, you align with people that are just like you. you. You unify in order to form allegiances that will get you somewhere, right? You, you, you connect, you form these, these relationships so that it gets you somewhere down the road. Uh, you engage difference only to figure out what your next talking point is. It's kind of the way of the world, that unity is foolish. Uh, but to unify with others of difference, laying... Uh, so, so unifying with others of difference, laying aside our disagreements, rallying around our commonalities makes no sense to the world. And yet, it is such a beautiful, challenging, excruciating, life-giving way of being. I think the kingdom of God calls us to a different way of being than the world promotes. I found myself struggling in this way a few years ago. I was uh, in my first couple years of seminary. And uh, again, I went to this kind of creative place, and I'm so glad that I did. And it was a really formational process for me. And I I was unthinking lots of things and kind of rethinking brand new things. And it was this disorienting time. My first couple years of seminary were really disorienting. And I was coming about to maybe a new way of thinking uh, I was learning and growing and changing, and I got caught up in the myth that different equals worse. I, I think I got wrapped up in this myth, this lie that, that we tend to believe that different equals worse. And, and I was kind of a jerk to my parents for a few years, I think. I'd grown up in the church, I, I, had, I had this amazing uh, faith background. Uh, I have these amazing parents that love Jesus, and and yet I kind of got too big for my britches for a few years there. I I, I thought I had risen above my upbringing, and I was kind of patronizing and condescending for a few years. And and I've had to repent and seek forgiveness. They're probably listening to the podcast, so sorry again, Mom and Dad. I I apologize. Uh, and, And we're in some ways still working out the repercussions of that sort of behavior, where I thought different equals worse, and now I had transcended the faith of, uh, of my, my foundation, and I was somehow better. And so I had to be reminded that no matter the theological differences, there still exists a basic fundamental commonality, the, the love of Jesus. They love Jesus. I love Jesus. We may talk about that a little differently, but who cares? At the core, we were all trying to to faithfully love and serve Jesus as we faithfully loved and served our neighbors. So why would I waste one second of my life or one ounce of my energy searching for differences that separate when I should rejoice in that which unites? So, in this heightened age of polarization where divisiveness is almost encouraged, may we be committed to breaking down walls of separation, laying aside differences, rallying around commonalities, and uniting with all under the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, the love of Jesus. May we commit to the foolishness of unity. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much that you have showed us how to unite with people of difference. You were always doing that, and you did it so well in Jesus. Uh, We need that help. We need your assistance uh, in connecting with those in which we don't agree, in finding common bonds where we think there may be none. Uh, Allow us to live into the foolishness of unity. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, well, it's not the first Sunday of the month. I recognize that. I'm aware that I'm breaking our our traditions. But it seemed kind of silly to talk about unity uh, in the face of kind of a sea of divisiveness without taking communion together. And so I, I think it's important uh, for us to come together, to, to walk down the aisle, to not just sit back, to, to actually have an active presence in seeking union, in seeking unity. This is a meal of connection. It was from the beginning, and it has been for the last 2,000 years. This is a a meal that binds us together. You are literally going to walk down the aisles with people who will post things on Facebook later that you couldn't disagree with more, and yet, who cares? Because Jesus is not divided. Jesus is the one who separates. Jesus died and was was raised again for all of us equally. His grace and his mercy abound. His rain falls on the righteous and the unrighteous equally. And so we all come forward to take this meal together, uh, acknowledging that we want to be unified. So I invite you into that spirit as we partake to come forward into this meal of union, communion. the other thing that we're doing is we are, we're beginning our meal that we're going to continue downstairs, right? So we're having a potluck right after the service, followed by our annual meeting. Even if you're visiting with us and you can't stay for the meeting, please come and partake of the meal. I'm sure there will be amazing food downstairs, so please come eat with us. But we will bless this meal as kind of a pre-blessing for the meal downstairs. We'll start our communion here, and we'll continue the communion meal around... Much larger tables and sitting in chairs downstairs. So, uh, on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he met in an upper room with his closest friends, and, and yet they were misfits. There were tax collectors and there were fishermen and there were people that would have normally hated each other in any other vocation. And yet Jesus had somehow brought together this strange group of people that normally would have been duking it out to share a meal and share in ministry together. So he met together with people of difference over this common meal. And at a certain point, he took the bread and he broke it. And he blessed it. And he said, This is my body broken for you. Anytime you eat this, do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after the meal, he took the cup and he passed it and he shared it with his friends and they drank of it together. And he said, This is my blood poured out for you, a sign of the new covenant. This is a new way of doing things. Even as we're talking about unity, here's a new way of connecting in the kingdom a way that breaks down walls of separation and unites around our commonalities. This is a new covenant that we are committing together, committing to together. So anytime you drink of this, drink this in a remembrance of me. So here at this uh, church, uh, at least under my leadership, uh, open communion means open communion. Uh, If you want to come forward and experience the grace of Jesus, you are welcome, regardless of tradition, regardless of... of, uh, even place where you are in the journey with Jesus. If you want to experience and taste of the grace of God, please come forward and do that. You are welcome at this table. I will invite my uh, servers to come forward, please.